You can turn your copy of God's Word to James chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 7 to 12 of James 5 this evening. Uh, if you want to look in that little black Bible that's under the seat in front of you, it's at page 952. James 5, 7, this comes after a passage where uh, it's really a prophetic denunciation of these rich oppressors that are pressing down God's people. And so this, in, this is an encouragement that comes to God's people in trial uh, who are in this situation. So James begins, James 5, 7, this is God's holy word. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation." Amen. May the Lord bless us as we seek to open up and mine the riches of his word together. And so as I prefaced with, James is writing to these impoverished Christian refugees that fled persecution in Jerusalem, have come to other regions, and as you could imagine, a, a refugee fleeing persecution, they're having a hard time finding jobs, making ends meet. These wealthy landowners who control basically all the work are taking advantage of them and oppressing them. And so they are, understandably, in a time of trial and in a time of suffering, and the call to them in this trial is to patience. However, I don't think the instructions James gives here are only applicable to re religious refugees, but they're appropriate instructions for anyone who's in a similar time of trial, of uh, stress-inducing, anxiety-inducing life circumstances. And so I think we rightfully can heed the call to patience in this text in whatever trials or burdens anxieties and stresses we ourselves are currently going through. We all bear our own burdens. It might not seem as outwardly extreme and stark as the Christians in this text, but we're all carrying a load. And it's no secret that we currently live in an anxious, stressed-out society. Uh, I was just reading a uh, Washington Post article on what has been called the teen mental health crisis, and um, in this article, it was citing a study where uh, the CDC was warning of an accelerated mental health crisis among adolescents with 44% of teens, so basically half of teens, reporting that they feel persistently sad or hopeless. Okay, persistently sad or hopeless. And that number has doubled in the past decade. And even more, girls were twice as likely as boys to report poor mental health and more than one in four girls reported that they had seriously contemplated attempting suicide during the pandemic. 
We live in an anxious, stressed out, troublesome society. And even though in many ways we have luxuries and ease all around us, the load of life is burdensome at times and difficult for us to endure. One doesn't have to look far to find a plethora of it, stressors and anxiety inducers, whether it's anything from uh, high housing prices, the moral decay of uh, society, a sickness in the home, family breakdown, the different difficulties of social media, uh, apostasy from the church, not to mention pandemics and wars. It's always been difficult to be a human. I'm not going to say it's more difficult, but it's always difficult, no matter what society looks like. And what's, what do all these stressors and anxiety inducers have in common? But they all uh, seek to trouble our souls and cause us a, a disquietude and a restlessness of spirit. Uh, stress is in many ways bearing the overwhelming burden of the known, of your duties, of that to-do list. Anxiety is that burden of the unknowns, that the, the what-ifs, the unknowns of the future. And both stresses and anxieties seek to steal the peace and uh, the, the, the repose from our lives. And so it's fitting that this text is calling us to patience. That's the need of an hour, the type of patience that James is calling us to. Not, not just a waiting in a long line at Disney World kind of patience, but an enduring, persevering patience that equips us to navigate life in an anxious and stressed out society. It's a call to a calmness and quietude of soul. And James, in our text, he gives us two great motivations towards this sort of faithful patience. Namely, the Lord's coming and the Lord's character. Two helps that the Christian has in an anxious, stressed-out society. Look with me at verse 7 in our text as we take a look at God's Word. James writes, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Patience. It pops up three times in this passage. James is calling the church in the midst of their stressors to patience. Uh, the Greek word is makrothumeo, right? You might think macro, big picture, and thumeo is relating sort of to the spirit. Uh, the literal idea here is long-spirited, or sometimes translated long-suffering, or perhaps persevering. The idea really being of an enduring patience an enduring patience. Um, one helpful way I find to think of this sort of patience or long-suffering is having a long fuse, right? So if you think of um, in a patient in an interpersonal, short-term context, is being able to bear with provocations without blowing up, right? It's having that long fuse that no matter uh, what's coming at you, you stay calm. Patience in a long-time perspective, considering trials, means that you can patiently endure hardship and trial over long periods of time without similarly that fuse getting to the end and your life imploding. It's being able to bear with these difficulties um, in, a, in a resolute, steadfast manner. And James here employs an agricultural analogy to help get his point across. He talks about the farmer being patient, waiting for the harvest, um, waiting until he receives the early and the late rains. 
in this culture, there was really important rains they needed at the beginning of the agricultural season and at the end, the early rains and the late rains. And rain is one of the hardest sorts of things to wait for. Uh, if you're a farmer here, I'm sure you know just the difficulty of waiting for the rain when you really, really need it. Um, if you're not a farmer, you know, in a lesser way, perhaps just the unpredictability of waiting for true spring to come, right? You get a hint of it, you think, okay, now we're past the cold snap, now it's spring, and you just never really know, and so you wait for it patiently. Uh, rain is unpredictable, right? If the farmer knew September 1st it will rain for sure, that's no problem. It's this, it's this unpredictability of unknowing of what the future could bring that makes waiting for rain so difficult. And so the farmer needs this sort of steadfast resolve to just know, I, I, I can wait for the rain. The rain will come, and even if it doesn't, the Lord will care for me. Here's what we'll do. Here's um, how we'll move on. And so James says, you also, in a farmer sort of way, be patient, right? Because we don't know when the rains that we're waiting for in our life are going to come. We all have rain that we're waiting for. There's always that next thing in each of our life that we're hoping is going to materialize, whether a job or a relationship or a family situation. Uh, we're, we're all waiting for the rain. And James says, be patient like the farmer. Wait. Trust in the Lord. And as you are waiting, keep on faithfully doing good right? The farmer doesn't wait until they know all the rains that have come. Then they're like, okay, I know the rain's coming, now I'll do the farming. No, they in faith have to plant and furrow and uh, cultivate and fertilize, not knowing when or how the rain's going to come. In the same way, we continue living faithfully, not knowing when our personal rain is going to come. We need to have this long spirit James is calling us to. Now, he gives us a little bit more about what this patience might look like. He says, be patient, establish your hearts. Why? For the coming of the Lord is at hand. Part of being patient is having what James called the established heart. Uh, that's not a phrase we really use. What, what would an established heart look like? Well, think of uh, establishing a home, right? Some people live transient lives, constantly moving around. Maybe if you grew up in a military family, you're going from here to there, and you never really feel established or settled. Or um, so we have family members who are currently in that talk of, uh, are we going to buy our forever home now? The place where we're going to set down roots, this is where we're going to live and have our kids grow up. That idea of, we're going to now not jump from apartment to apartment, but be established, so with our hearts, an unestablished heart is one that is tossed around by those winds and waves of life, but an established heart can say, no, I can rest here in who God is for me and what God's done for me, and I will be established. I can be steady, faithful, and patient because I have all I need in God. We want to have uh, the established heart that looks really like living as a non-anxious presence in the midst of this stressed-out society. And the key motivation here that James says helps us is he says you should establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not usually my first thought when I'm trying to find peace in my stresses, is the coming of the Lord is at hand. How is that helpful? Well, often in anxieties and stresses, the difficulty we're up against is so close, so right in front of us that we can't see anything else. But to be, able, to be able to zoom out and see the long view can really help put things 
in perspective. Because when Christ returns, that's when all the pains of God's people are fully recompensed. Because the Christian has that guaranteed inheritance, that sure reward of the new creation with God and Christ. That promise guaranteed by the pledge of the Holy Spirit. And in Christ, we have all that. And we have a right to it already, we just don't yet have the full experience of it. Again, it's that already not yet tension, that we have the inheritance waiting for us, but we haven't yet experienced the fullness of what that's going to be. And that long view of how much riches are in store for the people of God in Christ helps us maintain uh, that level, unflappable outlook in anxious times. Uh, If you had a friend who was just really um, struggling, worried about their financial situation, and they were just wondering, you know, what are we going to do this week? I don't know if we're going to make it. But at the same time, you knew that in about two weeks, they had a massive inheritance coming in that they were about to receive. Massive inheritance. You would say, why are you you freaking out? Don't you know in two weeks, you'll have abundantly supplied everything you'll ever need. It's so close. Just be patient. Our life compared to eternity is far less than what that two weeks would be. We have all already in Christ coming to us. What have we to fret about and to fear now? And this is not to say that the pain of life is not real or that the sufferings of life are not uh, terrible and trials to us. No, they, they are real, but the perspective we can hold can help us to patiently endure. Um, even in our, in our small group this week, this idea was coming up. Um, if someone say, uh, you're having a new baby and your first baby was really difficult, crying all the time, and you're worried, what's this second one going to be like? Uh, the advice was given, hey, I had a difficult first baby, And then I had a difficult second baby, but the difference was the second time I knew it would end. I I knew it was not going to go on forever. And just that simple thought she said of, I knew it was going to end, was a help to patient endurance. And so as that famous phrase says, this too shall pass, if we can recognize the finitude and ultimate temporal nature of our trials in light of the eternity that awaits us, It just helps us a little bit more in that motivation to that patient endurance. God will reward the righteous. He will judge the wicked. All pain and suffering will be done away with in the world where righteousness dwells. And now as we want to live in this peaceful, calm way in the midst of an anxious, stressed-out society, um, we we come to see that we know that our stressors, they don't just... uh, take away our own peace, but they lead us to be impatient with others. When we're in these difficult times, we often lash out. And so James naturally is led then to verse 9, where he continues instructing the congregation, saying, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. We often take out our stresses on other people. We often use our stress as an excuse for how we treat other people. Um, And I don't know about you, but I've noticed even in my own life that when I'm even just a little bit stressed, you know, stressed about what's going on that current day, 
Uh, I'm, for some reason, I just start looking for an excuse to, you know, blame my wife for something, to criticize her for something. Because for some reason, that stress just loves to lash out. Whether it's, why did you put the Thai sweet chili sauce in the condiment section of the fridge instead of the Asian ingredient section? Or, why are your bobby pins on my nightstand instead of your nightstand? Our stresses have this way of hurting people close to us, and we often wonder, why am I even doing that? We need to recognize and learn this art of patience because it affects not just our own quietude of soul, but also those around us. Our stressors can often make us into oppressors, you could say. But if we can first learn that art of patience, of repose, of imperturbability, of unflappability in our own spirits, we can extend those to our relationships. And the motivation for us, again here, James says, is that coming of Christ, but this time his coming as judge. He says the judge is standing at the door. He says if you allow your stresses to make you unkind to others, you're going to be held to account for that. You're going to be judged for that. And the imminence and inevitability of the judgment for all our deeds, even our little unkind words about bobby pins, they all come into the judgment seat of Christ. And if you knew that you were soon to give an account for all these ways you act and talk to Christ, how differently would you act around others? How differently do you drive when you see the police car a quarter mile ahead versus when there's none in sight? It's the imminence of the potential judgment that affects your current behavior. And if we could again see how close we were to the judgment seat of Christ, would we not be more careful Um, knowing, as Jesus said, that every idle word is going to be held to account. And so in every interaction, uh, are we recognized that Jesus is in a real way there with us, watching us, knowing how we're acting? And if we were to live with that recognition, we'd be living with what the Bible calls the fear of God. That's the fear of God, that recognition that Jesus is here, that he's watching, he is present, and we then desire to please him in light of that. We do need to learn this patience and quietude of spirit that allows us to be patient towards others. And James continues encouraging the Christians to faithful patience with examples from the prophets. Uh, Take a look at verse 10. He says, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. He's saying there's been lots of prophets. You know the prophets, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Zechariah. And these prophets, many of them suffered. Uh, Many of them were martyred, um, other church history tells us. And yet we esteem them greatly, don't we? Right? We love to think of and uh, read to our kids those missionary stories where people suffer a lot for the kingdom, and yet we hold them in such high regard. Uh, suffering and trial is not antithetical to living a God-glorifying Christian life. Um, we actually take courage ourselves from the stories of perseverance in others. And he brings up Job, right? Job, a, a long, extended life of all sorts of terrible suffering, He says, you've seen the steadfastness of Job. 
And that's an encouragement to me. Do you know why? Because he says that Job is an example of steadfast faithfulness. Now, I don't know if you remember when uh, Dale was going through Job or uh, reading Job, but Job is not the model of perfect response to suffering. Job is rebuked by God even. Um, He gets it wrong. He complains inappropriately. And yet he's called steadfast. Now, that's an encouragement to me because if you're like me, we often don't respond to our trials totally right. We often don't keep up the faith that we know we ought. And yet Job is called steadfast. He never recanted his faith. He never left the Lord. And sometimes our steadfast faith in trial is as much as that woman that went to Christ just knowing if she could just grab the hem of his garment, she would be healed. Sometimes it's all we can do just to hang on to the hem of Christ's garment. Like, God, this is about how strong my faith is right now, but I can grab the hem of your garment. And God blesses that sort of steadfast faith. It's not the strength of your faith, it's the strength of the Savior. And that's the one we're looking to hold on to. And the incredible encouragement that comes then is he says in light of Job, he said, you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. God had compassionate and merciful purposes in the end for Job. And remember, we're the ones that got to see behind the veil of heaven to know what was actually going on. Job didn't. But we trust the Lord's steadfast, uh, compassionate and merciful purposes. As it's been said Um, Though we at times can't trace God's hand, yet we can trust his heart. Or that in our sufferings, uh, we don't really need to know the why, but we need to know who. We need to know who we can trust, that we can trust the Lord who is compassionate and merciful. Our greatest help towards a steadfast steadfast patience in life is a steadfast trust in the compassion and mercy of God. And if the first thing we needed was to be motivated by the coming of Christ, we're also motivated to this patient endurance by the character of God, that he is compassionate, he is merciful. This is the name God reveals in Exodus 34, 6. When he's revealing his true character to Moses, he says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And this name of God refrain is picked up again and again. Uh, This is what David praises God for in Psalm 86.15, Psalm 103.8, Psalm 145.8. He says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And so we can endure because we know the good purposes God has for us even if he doesn't reveal to them any time in our life the reason for the pains, we can trust that God has good reasons for everything he does. Uh, think, of, think of what sort of things we endure when we know the purposes are good. Uh, we'll even let, if we're sitting in the right chair, in the right sort of room, we'll let someone stick needles into our mouths, our tender mouths, stick needles in there, go there with uh, cutting things and plying things, Because we trust the good purposes of the dentist, that they know that the pain they're having us undergo is for a good end, and we'll patiently endure it, sometimes with great difficulty. But to patiently endure it because we know the purposes are good. And in the same way, we have to trust the good character of God, that his purposes for us in our suffering are compassionate and merciful purposes, not to our detriments and pains, but to our eternal spiritual good. 
We trust the steadfast character of God. And we can trust God even more so because God's already shown us his great mercy and compassion in Jesus. If he's already given his son for us, uh, how much more will he not work the little things in our life? Uh, That's what Paul says in Romans 8.32. He says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? All things. All things are ours in Christ for us that are found in him. And so, be patient in your circumstances, knowing that there's a new creation inheritance waiting for you. Be patient with one another, your family member, your co-workers, your friends, uh, because the time to give account to the judge is near. Be patient in your sufferings as you consider God's compassionate and merciful purposes for his children. We can be patient because we know that God's already done so much for us in Jesus. We're called to patience. And we come in the text now to verse 12, and we wonder, well, how does this fit, this talk about oaths? And uh, people debate whether this relates to this section or maybe relates to the next section or is its own whole section. Well, we're going to deal with it tonight, and I think there is a connection here. Uh, Take a look at verse 12 with me. James says, But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. James says above all. That that may not necessarily mean that this is the most important thing ever, but that uh, perhaps this was of a special importance in that situation. This might have been a particular thing this church, these Christians really needed to hear. Um, He says to to not swear, and this doesn't mean cussing swearing, but the taking of oaths, of uh, invoking of sacred things uh, to enforce your words. And he's saying to to, to not do this. Uh, Exactly what James is prohibiting is a little bit hard to truly determine. Uh, It's probably not that he's prohibiting all oaths and all contacts, uh, contexts, which is the Anabaptist view, because God actually commands the taking of oaths in some places in Scripture. Uh, he's probably not even condemning the use of oaths to enforce the truthfulness of one's statements, um, adding an oath to it to ensure that it'll be done. Paul does that a few times and seems to do so without any admonition. Uh, but it's probably the sort of oath-taking that Jesus talks about. And Jesus talks about this in two places, in Matthew 5 and in Matthew 25. And there's two different issues Jesus has. The, the issue in Matthew 5 is uh, the frivolous use of oaths, where people are just adding oaths to everything they say. Um, I swear on this, I swear on that, I swear on the other. And they are basically um, making light of God's names, God's things, really taking the Lord's name in vain. Um, consider if you, if you knew someone that was always, um, every time you were talking to them, they would say, no, like I swear on the grave of my this or that. If they were always swearing on the grave of some family member, you'd be like, just wait, hold up. That's like dishonoring to that family member. Like, that seems really odd. But it's even worse if someone's just throwing around God's name, um, swearing on things that are sacred and divine. Um, It's sacrilegious. And that's one type of uh, oath-taking that ought to be fully condemned. Uh, The other type is the type in Matthew 25, 
where Jesus rebukes the Pharisees for having a tricky system of oaths where only some oaths really bound you and others didn't. Uh, things like uh, if you swore on the temple, you were uh, not bound. You could break that oath. But if you swore on the gold on the temple, then you had to keep your word. It was basically an elaborate system of crossing your fingers when you say something to say, well, it didn't count. I don't have to do it. So they were actually using oaths to be dishonest instead of to be honest. And both, both are things that we ought to take seriously, right? First, we take God's name seriously. That's the third commandment. We don't misuse and to toss around sacred things for frivolous purposes. And, but then we also take our own words seriously, to be people of integrity, not wavering, not speaking with crossed fingers to get out of duties. We take God seriously, and then we take our own words seriously. And how does this connect to a life of patience? Well, this is faithfulness and integrity. It's not just, we're not just enduring patiently for the sake of enduring patiently, but enduring for the sake of a life of faithfulness to Christ. A life where we do take God seriously. We take God's name seriously. God's worship seriously. And we take our own um, obedience and integrity and uprightness seriously as well. We don't just want any patience, but a faithful patience. In obedience to Christ, faithfully enduring through everything we're called to. We want to be people of integrity who let our yes be yes and our no be no. And I was just even thinking... Um, we, we can say yes or no things every day, but many of us have made a bunch of big yeses and big noes that we want to keep, right? We say in our church membership, we say yes to God, yes to obeying God's commands, yes to being faithful, faithful participants in our church's worship and work. So let your yes be yes, and if you've committed to be faithful here, be faithful here. You've, we've uh, committed to renouncing the devil and his works. We let that no be no. Many of us have said yes to a spouse. Let that yes always be yes. Never, I am not sure. Yes to your spouse, no to all others. Uh, when you have a job description that you agree to, that's a yes. Let that yes be a yes. Do your work faithfully. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Because we do want to live in, Christ, in a Christ-like way. Because not only does our patience and repose witness in an anxious, stressed out world, but so will our faithfulness and integrity. And if we put these two together and be people that are just known as patient, poised, unflappable people who also manage to um, walk in integrity, are people of our word, are honest, hardworking, faithful in our families, what a witness that is of uh, the sort of life God calls us to, uh, really a counter-cultural life in an anxious, stressed-out culture. And so we seek to navigate this world in patience and faithfulness. We look to the coming of Christ, knowing that this too shall pass. We rest in the character of God, knowing that He is gracious and merciful in His purposes to us. And we seek to be faithful to all the yeses and nos of the Christian life. And really, Christ's resurrection applies to all of this. Um, Christ's resurrection and ascension, that was the first step in his preparing a place for us, that eternal abode for us to go be with him. Christ's resurrection points to his return as judge when he will hold all to account. 
Christ's resurrection splendidly displays God's mercy and compassion to sinners like you and me. And Christ's resurrection shows that he is the reigning Lord whose all his commands are to be obeyed faithfully and fully. And really, because Christ rose, conquering sin, conquering death, he rose in victory, the Christian who's found in him can't lose. Because Christ won, we can't lose if we're found in him. And all in all in this life, it's temporary. It's a vapor, and then we have all. We already have Christ by faith, and we have everything in him. We're already seated in heavenly places, and we're just waiting this passing ride till that final renewed creation, that heavens and new earth where righteousness dwells. And so in an anxious, stressed-out society, we can live as a faithful, non-anxious presence as we wait on the coming of the Lord and as we trust in the loving character of our God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there are such great riches you have in store for your children. And if we could only truly understand and comprehend the magnitude of what you have in store for us, surely our perspective would be oh so different in our lives. Yet, Lord, we do acknowledge that we are all facing real trials, real pain, real stresses and anxieties, And so we throw ourselves on your mercy. We want to cast our cares on you, truly knowing that you care for us. Make your people more and more cognizant of your care, your mercy and compassion for them. And if we ever doubt your compassionate purposes for us, let us look again and again to Christ, where the compassionate purposes of God are on full display. Help us to live faithful, patient lives, lives, in the midst of difficult times. And we ask for the help of your Holy Spirit in this all, for Jesus' sake. Amen.